Let me ask you, do you like deadlines? Do you like deadlines? Some people hate them. Others don't mind them. You might say, well, why would some people not mind deadlines? Well, because deadlines have a way of helping us stay focused so that we get things done. They help us get motivated to make sure that we complete what we have to do. Without deadlines, we tend to get distracted and, uh, and get carried away by other things that, that seem to be going on around us. When, uh, when a deadline approaches, what's typically going on in your mind? Uh, whether it's a deadline at work with a project or whether it's a school assignment or some project you have going on at home and some things just need to get done by a particular time. What happens when you have those deadlines in your life? Typically, a sense of urgency builds up in you. And as you approach that deadline, you realize, hey, I got to make sure I take care of that issue. I take care of those tasks because they have to be completed by this date. Deadlines positively have an ability to increase in us a sense of urgency. You know what that feels like, don't you? Some of you might have some deadlines in your life right now and you are getting a little anxious. You feel that sense of urgency building up in you. You may like it or you may not. It may be stressful and often is. But nevertheless, it's a way to make sure that you get things done. Living life with such a sense of urgency is an effective way to get things done in life. Have you considered that Scripture wants Christians to live with a similar sense of urgency? And it reminds us of a deadline so that we as Christians may live our lives Positively speaking, with a positive sense of urgency. You may say, well, what urgency are you talking about? Well, it's the urgency to live as in the daytime, even though we are in a nighttime age. The urgency to live as in the daytime, even though we are in a nighttime age. Let's dive into our passage. Romans chapter 13. I'll be reading from verse 11 to verse 14. Here is the word of the Lord for us. Romans 13 from verse 11 to verse 14. The word of the Lord says the following. Besides it's you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. 
So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. This is the urgency. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Would you join me in asking God to pray, to bless the uh, preaching of God's word? Let's pray. Father, you reveal to us in your word that the night is far gone and that the day is at hand. Father, help us to awaken ourselves from any spiritual drowsiness, any spiritual sleepiness. Help us to awaken ourselves to the urgency of living our lives as in the daytime. We pray that you would help us hear your word. I pray that you would help us me, help me proclaim this word with clarity. And we ask that you would do all this for the glory of Christ and for our building up. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The Christian's urgency. This passage is part of a text that really belongs together, starting in verse 8 all the way to verse 14. And two weeks ago, we looked at this entire passage, and uh, I was only able to cover half of the message. Uh, last uh, time, when we were in this passage, we saw that in light of the mercies of God, the Christian has a debt of love to others, a debt that we should never get rid of. A debt we should never feel that we are going to pay it off in full and never have to, to pay this debt. But in light of the mercies of God, it's not only that Christians have a debt of love to pay, but also Christians have an urgency, an urgency. And that urgency we see in this passage is an urgency to live in a contrasting way from the world around us. In an age characterized by darkness, and only Scripture would call this age that way, anything else in this world will call this age an age of progress, an age of inventions, an age of significant scientific discoveries, and, and those would be true. But Scripture calls this age an age of darkness. In this age, Christians, those who have come to know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, for Christians, in this age of darkness, we are called to live in a very different, contrasting way. And that way is live as in the daytime, even though it's still night. Live as in the daytime, even though it's still night. Now, some Christians begin feeling sensitive whenever they hear that the, the Christian gospel calls us to a different kind of life. In, in, in their sensitivity, some Christians feel like any call to a life of purity and devotion to God is 
legalistic. Certainly, any Christian ethics can become legalistic if we view the, the call to live differently as a cause, as the grounds for becoming a Christian. The book of Romans makes it clear that we are reconciled to God by putting our trust entirely on the sacrifice of Christ, on his death, on his resurrection, on behalf of all those who would repent and trust in Jesus. This is justification by faith alone. But this saving faith in Christ alone produces an inner change inside us. And this begins showing up in our daily living. And once we are saved, the book of Romans is also very clear that once we're saved, we're called to live differently, distinctly in our age, in this age that we live in. So calling Christians to a different kind of living is the result of what the gospel produces in us. Now in our text, this call to live differently is not an option for the Christian. It's an urgency. The call to live differently, distinctly from the dark age that we live in, this call is not an option. It's an urgency. So here's the Christian's urgency. As the title of my message this morning, the Christian's urgency, what is it? Choose daytime living in a nighttime age. This is the Christian's urgency. Choose daytime living in a nighttime age. Paul unfolds this call in, to, to live as in the daytime by, by making four moves. And the first move, the first call, would be each of these four moves would be the four points of the message this morning. The first move, the first call is wake up from sleep. That's where we start. Wake up from sleep. Look at verse 11. And then as it goes on to verse 12. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first, when we first believe. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Wake up from sleep. In this image, Paul is asking Christians to to wake up from sleep while it's still dark outside, before the light of day is about to break the darkness. I mean, can you just imagine this picture? It's still dark outside. Everything around us is dark. But Paul says, wake up from sleep. It's about to get to become day. What is the night and the day in this picture referring to? The night and the day are referring not to physical nights, not to physical days. These are pictures referring to this age versus the eternal age. How do we know that? Well, the ending of verse 11 is a big clue to what this imagery of night and day are referring to. Paul says, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, the meaning of the word salvation in this verse is not a reference to conversion or to getting saved at the moment of believing in Jesus. Notice how in this verse, in this phrase, there is a distinction between 
the salvation that is still to come, that's near, and the act of first believing. Do you see that distinction here? The act of first believing, when we first believed, is referring to the, the moment of conversion. When each of us, when we heard the word of the gospel, uh, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, gave our lives to him, and became saved. But here, salvation is referring not to the past tense, the past action of getting saved when we first believed. Here, the salvation Paul is referring to is a future salvation. So you are wondering, oh, wait, I, I thought this salvation is already, has already happened for me. Well, you see, in the Bible, salvation is described in three tenses. Past tense, when we have been saved, when we heard the good news of the gospel. Present tense, Christians are sometimes being described or told, you are being saved. That's a work of sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus every day in the present time. And then sometimes Christians are being told about a salvation that will be theirs in the future. What is that talking about? It's talking about the time when Christ will come back. When all the promises that God made for our salvation will be fully consummated, given to us in full at the present time, the promises of God's salvation for us are given to us as a down payment. In part, God begins saving us. He has changed our hearts, giving us a new nature, a new creation. He's making in us a new life, the new birth. But the old nature is still in us. You know what that looks like. You and I find that every day. The, 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 the nature of corruption, of sin, still is with us. That has not been removed from us. But a day will come when God will not only break the power of sin, God will not only pay for the penalty of sin, which we, He has already done in Christ, a day will come when God will remove the presence of every sin from us. When Christ will come again, all sin will either be judged in full at the day of judgment, or all sin will be removed from those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. It's that day of, of final redemption, the fullness of, of the payment, of the down payment that God has given us. That is a picture of salvation, of future salvation. Some may call it glorification. Others simply call it the second coming of Christ. Well, Paul is telling us that a future moment is coming when that future fullness of salvation is coming. And Paul is saying that day, that future salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He's saying, Christian, God is bringing that day that you have been longing for. That day is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's nearer to us now than, than the first apostles and the Christians the first century. That day is described in our passage as the day. Now, until that day comes, we are still living in the age of the night. Paul says, the night is far gone. 
day is at hand. That means we're still in the nighttime. Most of the night is gone, but we're still in the nighttime. The age in which darkness rules, the age in which rebellion against God is still the way of life in our society. This is nighttime living. That's why people living according to this age, do you know what they produce? According to this passage, the people who are living according to this age produce works of darkness because this age is an age of darkness. They're living according to the values of the night. Now, the picture is that those who are still living according to the values of the night are sleeping. Not literally. This age is quite full of active people. A lot of works of darkness. But the picture here is those who are living according to works of darkness are sleeping, are asleep. They're living their lives unaware of the light of eternity that is about to dawn once and for all. But those who have trusted in Christ, for those who have given their lives to Jesus, for them their lives are oriented by a different age, the age of the coming light, the age that is to come. Now Paul wants us to know where we are in this timeline of of night and darkness. The timeline of the transition between the night and the day is given to us in verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The situation here communicates urgency. Don't assume that you have all the time in the world to keep doing the things you're doing. You can't ignore how you live your life. A time will come when all this darkness of this age will come to a full stop, a full end. If I were to translate this illustration to a, to a modern-day illustration, it might be perhaps a sports illustration. It's as if the game is in the last minutes. Or if it's basketball, it's the last few seconds. The game is almost over. We are in the last few seconds. What does that communicate? Urgency. Urgency. Do you understand the urgency that the night is almost gone and the day is at hand? In light of that urgency, that's a foundation. In light of that urgency, Paul ushers this command, wake up. Wake up. Give up living according to the darkness of this present age. Don't live according to its values. Don't live your life as if you have not been awakened to see the day of God's salvation. Why would you keep living according to the darkness of this age when the time of this dark age is about to come to an end. When the clock is about to run out. Now to play on this image a little more. If you, wait, if you hope to wake up when the day has already arrived, it will be too late. In this image, waking up when the day has arrived 
will bring you to the judgment seat of God. And that day, that time, to wake up at that time will be too, too late. Anyone who keeps sleeping until that day arrives will come to realize that they are going to be doomed forever. So being awakened from the sleep of this dark age is the best thing that can happen to us, even though it's still dark outside. Let me ask you, do you like waking up so early before the crack of dawn? I have to make a confession to you. I'm a weirdo when it comes to this situation. Here's why. I actually love waking up before dawn. But if you ask my wife if I do, she'll tell you that I don't. That's because I'm a night owl. And one of the problems with night owls is they can't fall asleep early enough so they can wake up early enough. I love getting the day started before the, before the dawn begins. But I just can't because I have a hard time falling asleep. For most of us, most people don't like to wake up naturally before daytime. We like to sleep in. We like to take our time. We like to wake up when it's daytime. This passage tells us Christians, wake up before it's daytime. While it's still dark outside, the call of the Christian is to live as in the daytime, even though it's still dark outside. And that's not natural for us. We don't like doing that. And yet that's the call. Friends, are you careless to the fact that God's mercies are calling us, calling us Christians to live our lives based on a different set of values? The value of His light as revealed to us in His Word, as manifested to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this image, feeling spiritually drowsy and sleepy leads us to live our lives according to the values of this dark age. So those who are asleep, those who are Christians and yet asleep, are those who, though are identifying themselves with the age to come, the age of the light, are still living their lives according to the values of this dark age. And this text speaks to you and to me, wake up, Christian, wake up. If you have already fallen asleep in your Christian living because you are cautious of not falling into legalism, then this message is for you. Wake up from sleep. After urging believers to wake up from sleep, from dozing off and living off as if they're still belonging to the age of darkness, Paul makes a second move, a second point in the message. Not only wake up, second of all, change the clothes for daytime living. Change the clothes for daytime living. One of the battles in our home is for the kids to change their uh, morning attire from pajamas to day clothing. And uh, for one reason or another, that is a battle in our family. And certainly doing homeschooling does not help with that battle when you could just start school in your pajamas every day. After all, 
just get the work done. Why does it matter if I'm in pajamas or not? So in our home, an ongoing battle is if you're awake, change your clothes. It's a routine that we struggle with. Now let me tell you what I was shocked and, moved and just couldn't believe it. When I moved to America 26 years ago and discovered while attending high school, I was a, uh, a junior in high school when I moved to the States, that there was a day in the school calendar in the public school called Pajama Day. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a joke. I mean, you're coming to school in your pajamas, and even the teachers came in pajamas. Only in America. Friends, for the Christian, there's no pajama day, spiritually speaking. For the Christian, if you've awakened from sleep, from the darkness of the night of this age, don't keep on living your day as if you are still holding on to the nighttime attire. There's no pajama day for the Christian, spiritually speaking. And yet, how often we long for the day when we could just go on with our days, the daily living, still holding on to our nighttime attire. And this text is saying to you and to me, spiritually, change your clothing. Cast off the attire of the night. Put away the pajamas. In this passage, the attire of the night is called the works of darkness. That's the pajama of the Christian. Put away the works of darkness. When we act, think, speak, or feel according to values of this age, this is the works of darkness. Later in verse 13, Paul will unfold for us what are some of the works of darkness. And he gives us just a sample Orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. Again, these are just an example of the works of darkness. But it really includes everything in our daily life that takes our, its cues and reference from this age of rebellion against God. Anything. Anything that fits in that category. That is a, a manifestation of rebelling against our Creator, stealing his glory and wanting to put glory on ourselves instead of putting glory on him. Any of that and all of it is the works of darkness. Turn away from it. Cast away. Put away the works of darkness. Friends, what are some works of darkness that you are currently holding on to in your life? What, is, what are some of the values uh, the ways of thinking, the ways of speaking, the ways of feeling inside you that you're still holding on to from, from the world around us, from, from the sinful stage of life, from the bondage that God you have been rescued from. We all have some works of darkness still in us. If you don't, it's not because you've got rid of all of them. It's because you may not have been aware of them. Ask the Lord to help you see what are the works of darkness that he wants you to cast off, to put away. But notice what are we to replace it with. Because it's not just put off, 
put off the, the pajamas of the night, spiritually speaking. It's what do you replace it with? It's not putting on works of light. Notice what is the replacement in this picture. Verse 12b, So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The wardrobe of daytime living is an armor. Why an armor? If you get up in the morning and change your clothes and put on a t-shirt and shorts and sneakers, what kind of activity should I assume that you're going to be doing that morning? Running or some sort of sports? If you were to put on a suit with shirt and tie, what kind of activity should I assume you would be doing that morning? Perhaps going on to an important meeting, perhaps knowing that you're in a high-level executive job where everybody wears a suit and tie, and, and that's what you, you're, you're putting on. You're, you're going to work. But if you were to put on an armor, what kind of activity should I assume you would be engaging in that morning? A battle. And that's the point. The wardrobe of the, of the light, of daytime living, is an armor. Because casting off the works of darkness is not going to happen without a fight. Casting off the works of darkness in your life is not going to happen without a fight. Dear Christian, if you are in Christ and you are now called to live a daytime living, realize that you are in enemy territory. We are still living in an age in which nighttime living is going on all around us. And what's worse, the nighttime living and the instincts of the light, nighttime living are instilled inside you. It's not merely the fight and the danger that comes from without. It's not merely the, the attacks that come from the culture, from the government, from the, from the spiritual forces of darkness. This battle that we are in, we are assailed in this battle not only from the outside but also from within. The corruption of our innate nature that we were born with. That's where the enemy is coming from. Throwing its darts. Now just to be clear, the light of the age to come has already penetrated the darkness through the coming of Jesus Christ. It's not a coincidence that when John, the apostle, uh, writes in his gospel about the coming of Jesus, he says, light has come into the darkness. In the coming of Christ, in his first coming, the light of the age to come has already penetrated the darkness. And when we hear about the news about Jesus, when we hear what he came to do and to be and, and to do, do for all those who would repent and trust in Christ, we come to realize that Jesus has come to rescue us, 
to snatch us out of the domain of darkness. Oh, friends, Jesus accomplished this deliverance by dying on the cross for us. He took upon himself the darkness of the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin. He confronted in his death the power of sin, death. That's why he died. But he conquered it on the third day, being raised from the dead, showing that in Jesus the power of death, the power of sin has been broken so that all those who look to Jesus as the light of the age to come, all those who look at the light of Christ and embrace him by faith are delivered from the age and the domain of darkness. Well, friends, this is what it means to be a Christian. To become a Christian is to look to Jesus by faith. But the reality is that even though we have been delivered from the domain of darkness, we still live in a dark age. And the, and the instincts of, of darkness are still inside of us, even as believers. Well, friends, the works of darkness are not cast off in our light, life without a fight. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, change your clothing, cast off the works of darkness, but put on the armor of light. Be ready for a fight. And you know what that is when you encounter peer pressure. Students, you know what that is at school? When others laugh at you for being a Christian or laugh at the kind of values you might have, the fact that you don't laugh at their crude jokes, the fact that you don't do the things they like you to do, there's pressure. You know the pressure that, that you encounter at work for holding on to values that are inimical, contradictory to our society. We need the armor of light to fight off the works of darkness. The works of darkness are not cast off quietly and calmly. Your sinful nature, which is still inside of you, is not happy about this exchange. Society around you, your friends, your, your peers around you are not happy about this exchange of clothes. They want you to keep on to your pajamas. But it's battle zone. So put on the armor of light. Let me ask you, do you expect to be in war zone with the values of darkness, the darkness of this age? Do you expect to be in war zone when you want to cast off anger or bitterness? Do you realize that you are in a battle zone? When you want to cast off the, the, the lure to pornography or the lure of gossip or the lure of living with frustration because things don't go your way, do you realize that you are in a battle zone and you need the armor of light? Some of us have the assumption that if Jesus is the one carrying on our battles, one can just chill and watch the battle from afar. Oh, friends, listen, nothing is further from the truth. Jesus indeed came to fight our battles with sin, and he battled it for us. But he came to battle our battles with sin, not merely for us. He came to enable us to engage in that battle with him. That's why when we die, 
with Christ. When we put our faith in him, we are called to die with Christ. We're not merely called to stand on the sidelines watching Jesus die for us. And the Christian life is a dying with Christ by faith. That's what baptism symbolizes, our death with Jesus. Because Jesus not only dies for us, but he dies so that we can die with him. That makes a big difference. So Jesus, he came to fight our battle with sin and death so that we can also put on the armor of light and be engaged in that battle. That's why Paul is telling us that the contrast to the works of darkness is the armor of light. Once people wake up from sleep and exchange their nighttime garments for daytime living, notice what is the next encouragement that Paul gives us. You've awakened from sleep, you've put on, you've changed your clothes. Now what? Point number three, walk properly as in the daytime. Walk properly as in the daytime. This is what Paul says in verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Friends, the armor of light is not meant to make you a cultural warrior, but to make you walk properly as in the daytime. What does this proper walking mean? It's defined by three pairs of negatives. The, the, the proper walk as in the daytime is defined by three pairs of knots. Not this way, not this way, not this way, not this way. And some of us, we've gotten so frustrated with all the do-nots of the Bible that we are sick and tired of hearing do-nots from the Bible. Well, let me just encourage you to consider and reconsider that sensitivity. The Bible does have the do-nots. We cannot get rid of them. I understand the gospel is not about the do-nots. It's about Jesus, but Jesus helps us live the do-nots. Here we see just three pairs of do-nots, not in orgies and drunkenness. The word for orgies refers to excessive feasting, excessive partying where people lose their self-control. Not surprisingly, such a life of orgies is paired up with a danger of drunkenness using substances to the point of losing one's self-control. Such feasting combined with getting drunk is the first example of the works of darkness that Christians are to cast off. Friend, I'm not asking you if you drink or not. I leave that up to your conscience. But I am asking you, are you in danger of getting drunk? If so, that's a work of darkness, even if you do it only in your home. The Christian's walking in the light is the opposite of getting drunk and attending parties where drunkenness and other sensual experiences are promoted. The next pair of do-nots is the not in sexual immorality or sensuality. Now, there's much we could say here, 
scriptures full of warnings against various types of sexual immorality, from the lustful looks to premarital or extramarital sexual relations, any form of sexual immorality or any form of sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman is among the works of darkness which are to be cast off. Friends, if you are, in a, if you are a Christian, understand this, that walking in the light, walking in the light of the coming age means turning away and resisting any forms of sexual immorality. Don't consider this legalism. This is not legalism. This is just a definition of what it means to live as those who have been brought from darkness to light. But there's another word, pair of works, of do-nots. The third pair is not in quarreling and jealousy. Now, some of us may not be surprised by the first two pairs of do-nots. But the last pair of do-nots is just as big of a deal as the first two. Quarreling, getting into arguments and fights is just as much a work of darkness as sexual immorality and drunkenness. It's sad when conflicts and quarreling become part of, of the pattern of communication in a family. When a husband and a wife live in regular tensions, when family members can no longer speak well of each other but attack each other with words, they speak poorly to each other, and they speak poorly about each other. Friends, are you tempted to live in this way? If so, that's the work of darkness. And God calls us to cast that away, to put it away. We are called to live as in the daytime. Get rid of a quarreling spirit. Get rid of being divisive seeking to be right all the time, of accusing others. Do you see yourself bent on quarreling? That's nighttime living. Wake up from sleep. Cast off the works of darkness. What about jealousy? It refers to a, a negative desire because of someone else's success and achievement. Our self-centeredness it's so great that we desire to have what other people have, and we don't. And we are not, we, we so desire that we cannot rejoice with them because we want to have what they have. Oh, friends, when we want things for ourselves that God has not considered it's time or right for us to have, and yet our neighbor has it, whether that's a, a job or certain things or certain blessings, Friends, jealousy can, can, keep, can come to our hearts and take over. Jealousy is nighttime living. It's the work of the night. And both, what both of these have in common, quarreling and jealousy have in common, is we are consumed with ourselves. We hold tight to ourselves, to our views, to our desires, to what we think we deserve and don't have. You want to see what are the works of darkness? Look not only for drunkenness or sexual immorality, but look for quarreling. Look where it shows up. Children, can I speak to you for a second? How often do you get into a fight 
with your brother and sister. That's a work of darkness. When you get frustrated for not having what your brother and sister doesn't want to give you, one of the common conversations we have with our children is, no, in that moment we need Jesus. Because that's a work of darkness. And we need Jesus to rescue us from that quarreling spirit. Friends, how are you doing in casting off the works of darkness? We need Jesus to help us wake up from sleep, put on the armor of light, and walk properly as in the daytime. We need to ask Jesus for help to help us walk properly as in the daytime. And that is where Paul has us in the last point. We've seen the call to wake up. We've seen the call to change your clothes. We've seen the call to walk properly as in the daytime. But the reality is we cannot do that on our own. We need Jesus. So point number four, Paul closes with this beautiful command. Put on Jesus as your clothing. Put on Jesus as your clothing. Look at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. How beautiful that Paul realizes that the call that he just gave us in verse 13 to walk properly as in the daytime, he's not leaving us alone for that. He's not saying, now you're saved, you, you, you got, you got the, the call to live in the light, now do so, you're on your own. Paul says, no, 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 you're not on your own. You cannot fight the, the, the cravings of your flesh and put those away without putting Jesus on every day. Does it surprise you to see the picture of Jesus here as a clothing you must put on? I mean, I know we talk about inviting Jesus into your heart, which is not really a, a biblical picture. But if it, if it helps you understand what it means to embrace Jesus, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. But here's a picture that the Bible tells us for what to do with Jesus. Put him on. Put him on you. Earlier in verse 12, Paul said, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Who is, what is that armor of light? In verse 14, it's Jesus. He's the light of the world. He came to penetrate darkness. And darkness could not overcome him. That Jesus, now Paul says, put him on. I love what Spurgeon said. And by the way, this is the life of faith in Christ, to have Jesus as your clothing. That's a really good picture of the life of faith in Christ, with Jesus as your clothing. Spurgeon said this, In Christ Jesus there is merit to cover our demerit, purity to cover our impurity, Obedience to cover our disobedience, beauty to cover our deformity, perfection to cover our imperfection, acceptance to cover our provocation. This is a life of faith, to have Jesus on you. Friend, when the end of this age will come, the Bible tells us that those who, ha who have refused to put their trust in Jesus will encounter him as a terrifying wrath. So great will be their terror that they will call on the mountains to fall on them. 
They would rather have the mountains and the rocks fall on them and crush them so that they would escape the terrifying wrath of the Lamb. That's what will happen when the day will come for all those who have refused to put their faith in Jesus. There will be no place of escape for them. What will we do in that day if the day we refuse to put him on as a garment who would cover us entirely? The day Jesus stands for us as a garment that we, it would be, he would be so safe and good for us that he would cover any and every impurity in us that he would clothe us with his perfection, that he would clothe us with his royal image, that he would change our identity to be his, everything about us, so that when people look at us, what they get to see is, wow, that guy or that gal looks so much like Jesus. Yes, because they have put Jesus on. That's what it means to put him on by faith. That's a life of faith. Well, friends, if you're not a Christian, then putting Jesus on means turning to Jesus to be saved. Ask him to replace your imperfections with his perfection, to replace your death with his life, to replace your rebellion with his everlasting, perfect obedience. Well, friends, I'm not sure if you realize, but this passage, Romans 13 particularly verses 13 and 14, were used by God to bring about the conversion of a person in the history of Christianity that I think most of us have heard about. There was a man, a big sinner, a very immoral man, a man who lived in his deep immorality for many, many years, decades. His mother would pray for him. He abandoned his mother tricked her, lied to her so he could escape from her. But his mother would not give up praying for this man. The mother's name is Monica. The man's name is Augustine. He was fleeing away from his mom, left her in Africa, fleed to, to Italy, to Milano. And there he came in contact with a, with a bishop, and heard his sermons, God began working in his heart, convicting him of his sin. And through hearing sermons, this man came to agree in his mind that Christianity must be true, but he could not surrender his life to God. He was feeling the agony of his sin, but he was unwilling to give it up and unable to do so. And his journey of battling, feeling the, the anxiety of his sin, and yet his continued love for sin that kept him hanging on to it. He describes that to us in a book called The Confessions. For almost nine chapters, nine parts of the book, he, just, he, he tells of his relentless pursuit and living in immorality. And then one day, he was in a garden, 
And uh, he had his Bible and left it somewhere nearby. And just kept on going in the garden. And he heard this voice of some children singing or saying, Pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. Pick it up and read. And he thought it must be a, a game somebody's playing. He, he wasn't sure. But he felt like, wow, what if this is God's way of telling me, go get that Bible that you left off and read it. So he did. He went back to pick up his Bible. And he decided to do something that none of us should do. And I will never encourage you to do. But he decided to just open the Bible wherever he would open it, put his finger on a verse, and just read it. So he did. And he opened to Romans chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. And in that moment when he read it, he said he couldn't read more. He had to break down. And God gave him a spirit of repentance. He repented and believed. That's how Augustine, the great immoral man, got saved. God used these verses, the do not verses, and then the put on Jesus. Oh, friends, if you are here and you're still not a Christian, God wants you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take him on you. Let him be your identity. Let him cover you up. Embrace Jesus as if he was your clothing. In the words of a pastor, he fits every size. He fits every size. There's no soul that is too big or too small for putting Jesus on. You're not too old or too young to think that Jesus will not fit you. You're not too much of a sinner to think that you can't put Jesus on. And you are not too great of a saint to think that you don't need to put him on. But being clothed with Jesus, my dear friends, is the act of believing. That's the first act. If you're not a Christian, put him on today. What will you say in that day? In that day when it will be too late to embrace him by faith. When you have been given this opportunity today to receive him as your clothing. To go home from this place, even before we're dismissed. And for you to walk in new clothing. Not the one you came with today, but the clothing of Jesus. What a garment he is for all those who had put their faith in Jesus. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, oh friends, the Bible tells us it's not just a one-time experience. We walk properly as in the daytime, even though it's dark outside, by keeping on Jesus Keep him on daily. Let him be your garment that you put on every morning when you wake up. It's an image of our ongoing transformation, of our sanctification. Friends, if you want to grow in our holy living, we must put Jesus on. You cannot fight. You cannot cast off the works of darkness without Jesus first being on you. You cannot do it alone. 
Too many of us try to do it alone. Too many of us think that God is just watching to see how we're going to do it on our own. No, you cannot do it on your own. You must have Jesus on. If you are fighting the cravings to be right in every circumstance, remind yourself it's not about your life. It's not about you, right? It's about Jesus and about Jesus being visible on you even in a situation where others may accuse you. I love what one Bible teacher said, how he said it beautifully. We are to surround ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that all we do, all we do is done through him and for him, and we are not even to give thought to any of those sinful desires that stem from this fallen and sinful world. Friends, imagine waking up from sleep every morning, getting ready for the activities of the day, and no matter what you have going on in the morning, whether you're going for a run or going to the office or working from home and feeling like you don't have to change your clothes, nevertheless, imagine what it looks like to put on Jesus every morning. That's a call this passage is making to us. And he's telling us, listen, this is not an option. This is not an option for the Christian life. This is urgent. Why? Because the night is far gone. The day is at hand. The game is almost over. I might even say we're in overtime. When Jesus came the first time to earth, the light has penetrated the darkness. Now it's just a matter of a short time that will flee quickly so that we would not feel like we can just live our lives, that we got all the time in the world to make it right with God. We got all the time in the world to grow in sanctification. No, you don't. The time is almost over. The age of darkness is coming to an end. The dawn of the age to come is nearer than ever. Wake up from sleep. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Walk properly as in the daytime. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the mercies of God, choose daytime living in a nighttime age. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for awakening our minds and hearts to understand that the coming of Jesus is near. And everything we have in this life is moving rapidly towards that end. Father, help us. To any of us who are still asleep, drowsy, sleepy spiritually, even though we are sons and daughters of the light, Father, awaken us in a fresh way to live our lives as in the daytime. And if there's anyone here this morning who is still deep in the, in the sleep of sin and death spiritually, Father, awaken them for the first time to the light of Christ. We pray all this for the glory of Christ. Amen.